0: Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at JMU. I'm Dr. Kara ong Associate Director at JMU Civic, and joining me this morning is Dr. Abe Goldberg, Executive Director of JMU Civic. Hi, Abe. How are you? Doing well, Kara. Joining us on Democracy Matters today is Todd Dresner. He is the director and producer of the documentary, The Campaign of Minor Bo," a film about Beau Copley and his run for Senate in 2018. Thank you so much for joining us on Democracy Matters, Todd.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So I wanted to start by asking, what prompted you to make a documentary about Beau Copley and his campaign for U.S. Senate in 2018?
1: The New York Times ran an article about uh, a West Virginia town uh, that Bo lives in, and it was about him and some other people in the town, and he had become relatively famous in 2016 because he had a meeting with Hillary Clinton where they discussed some comments she made about coal and their conversation went viral and he ended up being on a lot of news shows. Uh, He actually came to New York on election night to be on Katie Cork's Yahoo News election coverage and um, become a little mini celebrity. So I got in touch with him and I thought he was an interesting character, but At the time, his story seemed to have maybe already happened. It wasn't clear what I would make a film about, but I sort of kept in touch with him. And a few months later, he made a decision to run for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate in West Virginia in 2018. And that uh, was very interesting to me because it gives a film an immediate narrative hook, a beginning, a middle, and an end, uh, whatever happens in that campaign. And so we had some further discussions and he agreed to let me follow his campaign. And that was the beginning of the film.
2: Todd, what does Bo's story as a minor, his encounter with Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail in 2016 and his run for Senate, tell us about the nature of politics and political life in America today?
1: Uh, First, just to give a little additional context to Bo's story, he worked as a a mine foreman and a maintenance planner at a mine in West Virginia for about 11 years. And he was laid off in 2015. And that was the context in which he met Hillary Clinton. And she had said uh, in talking about uh, Appalachia, she had said, we're going to put a lot of coal miners out of business. And if you listen to her full comments, it's pretty clear that she didn't uh, intend to say that she wanted to put coal miners out of business, but rather that uh, because of, various factors that were happening in the world, coal miners were going to lose jobs, and she had some ideas for how they might be taken care of or perhaps find new work. But nevertheless, uh, the media did not cover her comments with a lot of nuance, and she got in a lot of hot water in West Virginia. And that was the context in which she met Bo, who asked her for an explanation of her comments and showed her a picture of his children and said that when you make comments like that, these are the people you're affecting. And I think it was a very um, uh, type of a real moment that you don't necessarily see in campaign events like that. Um, I talked to the New York Times uh, reporter, Amy Chozik, who was covering Hillary's campaign. And she said, you know, normally when they go to events like this, they they're on their phones, they're on their laptops, they have one eye on the internet and one eye on the event. And that when Bo started speaking, everybody just sort of sat up straight and started taking notice because that kind of raw emotion was something that you don't see all the time at a campaign event like this. Um, As far as what it says about politics, I think there was this hunger in 2016 and probably still now for authenticity. Uh, I think there was a perception of Trump that he was more authentic a typical politician, he would say things that other politicians wouldn't say. And he was real in that way. And you could argue about whether that perception was true, I would certainly argue. But I think there was that hunger. And Bo Copley couldn't be more different from Donald Trump. But one thing they have in common was he's definitely authentic. And in that moment, he wasn't trying to make a political point. He wasn't trying to have a gotcha moment at Hillary Clinton, he was just expressing some real personal pain and anguish about his circumstances and about things that were happening in his area of the country. And I think that authenticity is what um, helped that moment go viral and and got so many people to uh, want Bo to be on their programs after the meeting with Hillary. Um, Given what happened in his campaign later, you can say there may be some limits to what authenticity does for someone who wants to get into politics, but I think there is that hunger to feel like politicians are not giving you these canned speeches or saying what you want to hear, but they're really being genuine and authentic and I think Bo spoke to that
2: yeah i Todd when I was watching the film, I was taking notes knowing that we would be speaking today and I'm looking down at my notes, and one thing I wrote is that this guy is as authentic as can be. Absolutely. Um, there was a an encounter he had towards the end of the film with um, Hoppy Kerchival, who is a um, a, a, a a I guess a, a radio a radio news guy. It's been in West Virginia. He's an institution. Um, he's been there for decades. Um, and and Bo was very critical of Hoppy's coverage of his campaign. I wonder if you can speak about who Bo was running against in that primary, and what some of Bo's concerns were about Hoppy's coverage. But but really, you know, more broadly about the way in which the media uh, did not cover his campaign in the way that they
1: had. Sure, there were six candidates in the primary, including Bo. But there were three of them who were really considered to have the best shot to win the nomination. Um, Patrick Morrissey, who's the West Virginia State Attorney General. Uh, Evan Jenkins, who's a, who was a U.S. congressman uh, from West Virginia. And uh, most controversially, Don Blankenship, who was the head of Massey Energy, which is a big coal company. And he uh, had just gotten out of prison because he was sentenced to a year in prison uh, for his role in some mine safety violations that resulted in a explosion at the Upper Big Branch mine that killed 29 people. So the fact that he thought that after going to prison and having a role in this explosion that he could get the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate was quite a surprise to a lot of people there um, in who were covering the race. Um, but those were the most well-known, best-funded candidates. And then there was Beau and two other candidates who were somewhat similar to him in that they were sort of ordinary, everyday people who were trying to get a grassroots campaign going. And Beau's basic complaint in that scene with Hoppy Kirchewald that you're talking about and more generally was just that every time the race was covered, the media said there were three candidates. And, you know, strictly speaking, that wasn't true. There were six candidates. so Bo's frustration was he felt like there was, again, this real hunger for authenticity, a real hunger for a different kind of choice than people typically have, but that he couldn't get the media to report that he was one of the choices. And he really felt, I think, that if they had been more fair, um, he would have done better in the primary. Um, you know, we can never know for sure if that's true, but uh, it, it is certainly true that he didn't get nearly the amount of the coverage that the three main candidates got.
0: I, I wanna ask a related question because it didn't it it wasn't the through line of the film, but I think it also because he was doing a, a grassroots campaign, um, it also raised a question about campaign finance and um you know connections within the party and and how difficult um, the obstacles are for someone who is running from the grassroots to really mount a campaign like that. And I wonder if you can maybe talk a little bit about those challenges that Bo faced and and that might be more broadly evident in our Election system in terms of how campaign finance, um, how our how our campaigns are financed, um, can contribute to one the, the the media coverage that individuals might get, um, but also the ability to to run a campaign. Um, I think also you know we 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 can see a little bit of a counter to that in the ability to go on social media. And both seem to use social media quite a bit um, to. To broadcast what he was doing in his campaign, but it doesn't seem like social media itself, um, and certainly not in this case, um, you know, can really effectively counter um, sort of deep pockets and, and connections.
1: Well, there's no question that there's a challenge for any candidate like Bo, who, even though he got some notoriety in 2016, uh, he didn't have financial resources of his own. He didn't have connections to the party or traditional uh, supporters of Republican candidates. He didn't have a professional staff. Um, So all of that makes it very, very difficult. Um, At the same time, we have seen examples in recent elections of candidates like that who are very successful. I mean, obviously the most prominent example is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, whose story you can see in another very good documentary, Knock Down the House. But she started out, pretty much as a candidate like that and challenging a very, very uh, entrenched, powerful incumbent in Congress and won. Um, so I think if you are a candidate in that situation, you have to look to the examples that there are.
2: So you, you mentioned this His um, felt like, like he was following God's will throughout this. And I wonder if you can speak about the importance of religion Uh, in Bo's life and in Bo's campaign?
1: Uh, Well, I would say it is the primary motivating factor in both his life and his campaign uh, to take the campaign first. Um, At this same meeting where he met Hillary Clinton, uh, Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, was also at the meeting and was basically there to vouch for Hillary Clinton and then endorsed her in the presidential race. and. Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton in West Virginia by 42 points. So Bo took that as a uh, a sign that Manchin was out of touch with his constituents and he was backing a candidate who would lose his state by so much. And the reason that he ran for U.S. Senate as opposed to a, a maybe easier office to win on a first try was because he felt like God had put him in this meeting with Hillary Clinton and with Joe Manchin and wouldn't it be Poetic justice for him to defeat Senator Manchin after Manchin uh, endorsed Hillary. And so that was why, when people would say, Why don't you run for state Senate or the House of Delegates or uh, a local office? he would say, No, God meant for him to run for US Senate by putting him into this situation with Manchin and Hillary Clinton. Um, Beyond that, uh, his Religion, I think, is central to his life. Like a a lot of people uh, in West Virginia, he goes to church twice on Sundays and once on Wednesday. Um, And I think from being at his church a few times, it seemed to me that it was a big source of support for both him and his wife and their children. Um, And knowing that he had gone through, at the time of the campaign, over two years of unemployment, We certainly know there are a lot of uh, problems in southern West Virginia and in other areas of the country that people who are in that situation can fall into in terms of the opioid epidemic uh, or depression. There are higher suicide rates, and I think the fact that he had this church family that supported him and uh, was such a source of strength for him, maybe that is a reason that... At least as far as I could tell, none of that happened to him, even though he was going through some very difficult circumstances. So I would say it's a incredibly important area of his life and probably one that was a big help to him when he was going through what he was going through during this time.
0: So you just mentioned, um, some of the, the issues that, um, come up in the film, some, some of the background issues that are taking place, um, in West Virginia, um, uh, particularly with economic depression, um, part of the film also follows Bo to the teachers' strike, where he goes to engage directly with teachers, and that was occurring during his campaign in the spring of two thousand and eighteen as well. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what you learned in terms of the issues that matter to people in West Virginia um, from, from spending time there that, you know, maybe would have surprised you, particularly being that, um, you live in, in New York.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously for, oh, who had been in the coal industry for a long time, the, the thing that would always come up in his, um, talking to him and when he met with voters was, what he thought about coal. And that's obviously a big issue in West Virginia. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that, uh, it's not simply an economic issue. Um, it's a issue about culture and and values. Uh, one of the people who's interviewed in the film points out that the West Virginia state flag has a coal miner on it. Um, and so obviously coal mining is just so central to the identity of the state. Um, the same interviewee says that everybody sort of recognizes that, the state has to move on from coal and develop alternatives, but that to say so, at least in a Republican primary, would be political suicide. So that is a big issue in a state where you know you need you have this very difficult uh, issue that you have to deal with of how to move past this industry that has defined your state, but that politicians are reluctant to talk about it in a serious way because voters might punish them. Um, And it seems like if West Virginia is going to diversify its economy, it really needs to have some straightforward talk about coal and alternatives to coal and what the state might do if coal is never going to come back in the way that it uh, was in the past, which seems to be the case. Um, Someone else we interviewed in the film and this comment didn't get into the final film, but he says it's so hard to diversify the southern West Virginia coal fields just because any company that wants to open, say, a warehouse, they want 400 acres of flat land. And that just doesn't even exist in that part of the state. It's it's hills and hollows and things like that. Um, So the question of how you diversify the economy is a really complex one that Maybe I, I didn't speak with a large group of politicians or economists in West Virginia. I was really focused on Bo, but at least in the Republican primary, it was not being considered seriously about um how the state might move on past coal. Uh, the teacher strike, though, was very interesting because it sort of harkened back to this tradition of uh, miners' unions and very strong unions that fight for workers against coal companies that are essentially coming in and extracting resources without giving anything back to the state. Um, And, you know, it was interesting to me, a lot of those teachers are Republicans, uh, but nevertheless, they're maybe reviving a tradition that could be helpful to the state in some way if, if it becomes more broad, just to be more focused on the rights of workers and people than on the rights of corporations to come in and take the resources of the state away and make money.
0: We are talking with Todd Dresner. He is the director and producer of the campaign for Minor Bo, the campaign of Minor Bo. Um, It's a documentary about Bo Copley and his campaign for the U.S. Senate um, in the Republican primary in 2018. Todd, I wonder if you can tell us where we can get a copy um, where folks can, uh, find the film and, and
1: watch it. Sure. Um, there are going to be a variety of ways to see it. Uh, it's going to be uh, broadcast on public television stations around the country starting this fall. Uh, and that is a shorter version of the film, uh, what's called a public television hour, about 57 minutes. Um, It's going to be broadcast statewide in West Virginia and uh, other stations are looking at it now and deciding whether to broadcast it. Uh, It'll also be available in October on video on demand. Um, And then for people who are listening, who are in uh, academia, it is available right now uh, for, People who may want to use it in political science or other courses. And you can find out about all of those things on the website, uh, which I think is in the show notes, minorbowfilm.com. Todd, one of the scenes that really
2: stuck out to me was when Bo attended the teacher strike, which was a huge story in West Virginia during the campaign. And I'm thinking, well, at, at least he's there um, to, to, to speak to teachers. Can you speak to um, To his involvement in that, because many of those people he spoke to were highly critical uh, of Patrick Morrissey, uh, one of the other Republican, I guess the the leading Republican uh, nominee.
1: So Patrick Morrissey was the state attorney general, still is the state attorney general of West Virginia, and when the public school teachers went on strike, uh, he declared the strike to be illegal, and therefore... um, the teachers were very upset with him, and it was an opportunity for Bo possibly to draw some support away from Morrissey and to get some attention for his own campaign. Um, the the funny thing is that he was somewhat reluctant to go to talk to the teachers who were thousands of them were at the West Virginia Capitol in Charleston. And I think he was worried, as it turned out rightly in some cases, that uh, they might not uh, be happy to see him or some of them might not uh, support him because he actually felt that while he wanted the teachers to get better pay, he didn't feel that the strike was the right thing to do. Um, And I have to say that I encouraged him to go, you know, uh, I guess, strict journalistic documentary ethics might say that I shouldn't have done that, but we happened to be in Charleston doing something else. And we're just very close to the, uh, the Capitol. And I said to him that this is the biggest thing going on, um, in the state right now, you should really go talk to the teachers. And so he agreed to do that. And I think while some people were hostile to him, he also met a lot of other people who were very open to him and even uh, appreciated knowing that there was uh, an alternative to Morrissey. Um, so I think he had a lot of good conversations there. And uh, and then, it, you know, from my point of view, it turned out to be a, a great scene in the film.
2: Todd, can you speak a little bit more to the changing politics of West Virginia? I mean, the point was made that West Virginia had been considered a, a blue state for, for generations. And it wasn't until recently that it became... A, a very predictable red state. You mentioned earlier the 42% win that um, Donald Trump had over Hillary Clinton in the 2016 campaign. But you're right. I, I was also struck by his appearance at the teacher strike, um, which which typically labor uh, was voting with the Democratic Party in the state. So were you able to get at kind of what changed in West Virginia in the past decade leading up to Bo's involvement in politics?
1: Well, the people who I interviewed who are more intimately involved with politics there than I am basically said that the National Democratic Party had moved too far away from West Virginia Democrats. Um, there was what was framed as the Obama war on coal. Um, you could say that that's just a uh, a right-wing trope, but... Um, the perception there seemed to be pretty strong that uh, the Obama administration was against coal and therefore against West Virginia. And then there are other, you know, I guess what we call values issues on uh, uh, same sex marriage and um, transgender rights and abortion, all of which the National Democratic Party has moved to the left on. And that the people I talked to in the film seem to feel that West Virginia Democrats were. You know, very strong in terms of wanting workers to be treated fairly, but on these values issues, they were more conservative and so over time, um, they just felt that the National Democratic Party um, didn't represent them anymore and that's why we're starting to see so many Republicans win statewide offices and local offices in West Virginia, uh even with all of that uh Bo told me numerous times that in his home county, Mingo county. Most people are still registered Democrats, and that on primary night when he was waiting to see the results, he was waiting for his home county to come in, but he knew there would be very few votes there because only Republicans could vote in the primary. Um, so you know, it's hard just to know if there's anything national Democrats could do to get more support back in West Virginia. But it seems like there's a different sort of Democratic party there than maybe there is more broadly in the country.
0: Todd, we ask one final question of all of our guests. What would you do to strengthen democracy?
1: Oddly, I, I think what needs to happen the end of the filibuster in the Senate. Um, and I've heard arguments for and against that. But I think what is what happens now is we have this perception that in Washington, nothing gets done, and all that happens is Democrats and Republicans argue with each other, and nothing ever changes. Um, And I think if the Democrats do control the presidency in both houses of Congress, they're not going to want to give Mitch McConnell, should he still be there, uh, a veto over everything for the next four years. And we're likely to see the filibuster go away. And in that case, it would seem to be more likely that a party that uh, gets elected is able to implement its programs and then Hopefully in future elections, rather than just saying, oh, they're all horrible, nothing will ever get done, at least we would be judging the results that that party had. Uh, if they were more easily to, able to implement their programs you know, and get things done, voters hopefully could make decisions based on what got done and whether the results were good. Um, I'm sure that's a, a very ideal, idealized uh, way to present it all. But I think what democracy needs now is for uh, the ability to tackle these large issues that the country is facing um, quickly and more efficiently than we're able to tackle them now and then let citizens assess the results.
0: Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by, well, me, our digital guru Randy Budnickis, director of digital marketing at JMU, does syndication for us. Our theme song is "Sometimes It Shines" by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about us at jmu.edu/civic. Until next time.